Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, the one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, preach your word. God, I know we're all coming from different weeks, uh, and I know for some people in Florida, it was a really terrible week. Uh, and so I do want to take a moment, Father, and just lift up uh, the, the, the town, the city, the high school, uh, everyone that has been affected by this most recent shooting. Father, we pray that you would bring it into the violence and uh, just comfort them in this time. Uh, would you encourage the local churches in the area to, to really be seeking to, to minister to the community in this time? Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in Luke chapter 9 uh, this evening. And uh, so we've, we've read the passage, and this passage has a question. And maybe some of us have encountered important questions in our life. Like when you go to the doctor's office, you answer some important questions about your health. And sometimes I think we actually have to answer life or death questions. When I was thinking about this, I thought of uh, kind of an old movie where there is this scenario where some people have to answer some life and death questions. This is a very serious movie. It's called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Maybe some of you have heard of it. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the, uh, the knights of the round table, they are on a quest to, to find the Holy Grail. And they come up to the bridge of death. Now at this bridge, they have to speak to a bridge keeper and answer his three questions in order to cross the bridge. And the first night, he walks up to the old bridge keeper, and the old bridge keeper like, has kind of scraggly gray hair and a scraggly gray beard, and he is like kind of a hermit-type figure. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Bernie. Uh, just kidding. I just couldn't. Uh, and the, the first night walks up to him. And the bridge keeper asks him a question. He says, first, what is your name? And he says, Sir Lancelot of Camelot. That's a great name, right? Sir Lancelot of Camelot. 
He says, what is your quest? To seek the holy grail. What is your favorite color? And he says, blue. And he says, you may pass. And so Sir Lancelot just goes right across the bridge. And then the next guy's like, well, that was easy. And so he walks up and he's eager, he's excited. And the old hermit says, what is your name? Well, Sir Robin of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the holy grail. What is the capital of Assyria? <laughs> and he's like, what? I don't know that. And then he gets launched into the chasm. He's like, ah. He couldn't answer the question. He had different expectations about what the question should be. Now, I know that if you guys were in this movie, many of you who went to Sunday school, you would get this question right because you would think of the book of Jonah. And you would remember that Jonah went to Assyria. He went to the capital, which is Nineveh. So you would have survived uh, this scenario. It's one of two capitals. So we have a, a question. We have three questions in our kind of opening story. And I think there are questions that we find contained in the Scripture and the Bible, three questions that we need to answer in this life in order to past the bridge of death. See, we'll all encounter the bridge of death one day at the end of our lives. And how we have answered these three questions in this life has consequences for all of eternity. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not one of those sermons where I'm saying, you know, St. Peter at the pearly gates, he quizzes you to let you in. That is not what I think what happens when you die. But I do think how, we've, how we answer the questions in our own hearts in this life truly matters. And so I want to I start with the very first question that we find in our text, and that's this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is probably the most important question I think any of us could ever answer. And we all come at this question from different places in our lives. Some of us, like we grew up in the church, right? And we've been taught, well, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And, and so we have a pretty good grasp of what we think the right answer is. But some of us, when we hear this question, who is Jesus, we may not have a good idea. Or we may be uncertain. We may think, well, Jesus he, he was a, a, a good man, or he was like a godly teacher. Maybe he, he was a little bit like Buddha or, or Muhammad or Gandhi, one of these famous teachers. But he was also kind of an unlucky man. He, he ended up dying. And so as we approach this question, we all approach it uh, from different angles. And actually, wrestling with this is fine. Wrestling with this question of who he is is completely all right. Because if we look at the scriptures, if we look at the Gospel of Luke, we see people wrestling in the time of Jesus with this exact same question. See, the only people that really knew the answer to this question in the first half of the Gospel of Luke are angels and demons. They seem to get who Jesus was. But so many other people didn't understand who Jesus was. His hometown, his hometown of Nazareth, the people 
weren't sure who he was. His, his relative, John the Baptist, he didn't understand who Jesus was. It says King Herod. King Herod didn't know who he was. Jesus would eat dinner with people and have like these dinner parties, and they didn't know what to make of him. In fact, Jesus had 12 followers, his 12 disciples, and they were with him all the time, and they spent all sorts of time with him, and they weren't sure who Jesus is. So if you're wrestling with the question, who is Jesus, it's okay. That's fine. You can wrestle with that question. But as we come to the text tonight, verses 18 through 21, we actually find Jesus asking this question. He wants us to wrestle with it. He wants his disciples to wrestle with it. So let me go ahead and read these verses. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. So what's the answer? Who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. A Messiah, what does that mean? That's not a, a word we hear very common in, in our culture. Messiah means anointed one, anointed one, someone who is anointed by God. And if we read the Old Testament, we actually see three different types of figures that were considered anointed by God. The high priest was anointed by God in the Old Testament. Prophets were called anointed by God and kings. So prophets, priests, and kings were all considered anointed by God. Now, maybe some of you know this already, but uh, the Queen of England, she was anointed. She was anointed at her coronation, Queen Elizabeth, in 1953. And when the Archbishop of Canterbury, he, when he anointed her, he actually said these words. He said, "'Be thy head anointed with holy oil.'" as kings, priests, and prophets were anointed. And as Solomon was anointed king by Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, so be you anointed, blessed and consecrated queen over the peoples whom the Lord thy God hath given thee to rule and govern. So even they recognized that there is this special anointing by God for rulers, for, for kings, for prophets, for priests. And when, when we come to Peter's answer, he is saying God's Messiah, God's anointed one. In the Greek, he says, ton Christon to Theo, the Christ of God. In fact, most English translations, they translate as this as Peter answered, well, the Christ of God. The ESV and the NASB, they say the Christ of God. In fact, when you hear the word Christos in Greek throughout much of the Gospel of Luke, it's usually translated as what? As Christ. So whenever we say Jesus Christ, we're actually saying Jesus Messiah because Christ is the Greek of the Hebrew Messiah. So I think it's really interesting that when we come to this, the NIV wants to highlight a specific point that, that Peter is saying that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is anointed by God. That Jesus is a type of prophet, a type of priest, and a type of king. This is truly 
amazing. So Peter got the answer right, right? Well, then why does Jesus warn them? Why does Jesus warn them not to tell this to anyone? Well, that doesn't make sense at all. In fact, there's one commentary I read saying, like, Jesus rebuked them. Don't tell anyone. Well, it's because of the expectations they had for the Messiah. See, the the nation of Israel is under oppression by the Roman government. There is a foreign nation that is ruling over the people of Israel. And the people of Israel kind of got into their their, 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 their character. The, the scripture said that God would send a, a redeemer, a deliverer, and the people thought, well, of course, this is going to be a social, economic, political, military redeemer. This is going to be a military commander who is going to overthrow, by God's power, the Roman government. But that's not the kind of Messiah that Jesus is interested in being. Jesus isn't interested in being a a political or military leader. He is interested in being a military leader of a different type, of waging war against sin, against death, bringing life to a people that are captive in sin. But that's the kind of leader Jesus is interested in in being, the kind of Messiah, not in one that serves the wants of the masses to to set up a a new kind of government. One day he will do that when he returns, but this is not that day. So who is Jesus? Well, he is the Messiah. We have to all ask ourselves, take a moment and ask, am I letting Jesus be who he says he is, or am I making Jesus into who I want him to be? Because we all have an idea of who Jesus is. He's my friend, he's my buddy. But is he your king? (laughs) Is he anointed by God in your life to deal with your sin? To lead you to where he wants you to be? These are challenging questions. Now maybe some of you are still wrestling. Well, okay, so Jesus is the Messiah. I get that. But I, I still don't really get who he is. Now, when, when you and I, when we introduce ourselves, we say, you know, hi, I'm Jonathan. And then, you know, what's some of the questions that people ask? They say, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Maybe you say, I, I'm an engineer. I'm a lawyer. I'm a, I'm a tuna fisherman. We all say, we kind of, we, like, we tie what we do into our identity, right? Because it's, it explains. Well, we need to look to fully understand who Jesus is. We need to look not just at who he is, but we also need to look at what he does. If Jesus were to introduce himself, he would say, I'm the son of God. We also say, I'm a savior. What does he save? When when you're a savior, you do something. And so that leads me to our second question. What did Jesus come to do? And I want to read our second verse here. Well, our our 22nd verse, Luke chapter 9. And he said... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, as we look at this verse, do we see that Jesus came to, like, set up a a political platform? No. Do we see that Jesus came 
to gather as much power as he could? No. Do we see that he came to like, have a good life now? No. Do we see that he, he came to make lots and lots of friends and for people to be happy with him? No. We don't see any of these things. We see someone who is called into this world to suffer, to be rejected, to die, and to rise again. And that's what we see, who Jesus is called to be, who Jesus, what his work is, what he, what he has come to do. So what does it mean Jesus came to suffer? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about his suffering. He says, I'm about to suffer. And he says this at the, the last table, the last supper. His suffering is the passion narrative. What we're going to go through at Easter when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was put to trial. He was, he was scourged. He was flogged. He was crucified. That is Jesus' suffering. He came to die. And he was, he was caused to suffer by those people that were supposed to welcome him with open arms. The, the chief priests, the elders, the leaders, the Pharisees, the, kind of the most religious of the religious, they were supposed to welcome Jesus in. And what do they do? <laughs> they cause his suffering. He's rejected by them. So he suffers, he's rejected, and then he dies. He is crucified. He is crucified to a cross. And he perishes. Is this how the story ends? <laughs> Is this the end of what Jesus came to do? The Olympics are on, so maybe some of you are watching the Olympics. We don't get, like, regular television, so I was like, well, Monica wanted to watch uh, uh, ice skating, figure skating, and so I signed us up for one of those, like, free seven-day live TV trials through your internet. <laughs> and I was so excited. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send Monica this little clip of some figure skaters. So it was the Russian figure skaters, and they start their, you know, their performance, and they look very beautiful, and they're skating to the back, and then they skate to the center, and the music's kind of building, and then the man, he picks up the lady, and he tosses her into the air, and then I paused the recording, <laughs> and I sent that to Monica, and I thought that was hilarious, right? Because it was like, it was like my, my trailer. What, how's it going to end? What's the end of the of the toss, like I see her rotating and is she just gonna do that for all of eternity? Like, what's gonna happen? And if we stop at Jesus' death, it's kind of like that, where we don't really know how the story ends because it doesn't end there. It ends beautifully, just like the, the figure skating. They landed and kept going. Jesus rises from the grave. That's the most important part of the story, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, if, if you believe that Jesus came to suffer, be rejected, die, and rise again, this is what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> You're a Christian if you believe this. So we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and we believe that he came to do these things and, and rise again, and this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is where it begins with, a, with an understanding of who Christ is and what he came to do. But even then, I don't know if it really ends there. 
If what it means to be a Christian doesn't just stop with like an intellectual head knowledge of who Jesus is. Because, well, the Bible says even demons believe. (laughs) Demons believe. They're not going to be saved. So this brings me to our third question. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? And what does this mean for me? All right, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus came to, to suffer, be rejected, die, and rise again. But how does this apply to my life? Now, Maybe you've come here and you're like, yeah, I, I call myself a Christian. I, I have that name. Like I, when I get surveyed or someone calls me and they're, they're looking to get some data, I say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then nothing has changed about you. Like you live a life that's completely like everyone else around you, the people that don't follow Christ. We call that nominal Christianity. I am a Christian in name only. And Jesus actually says that like nominal Christians, people that are Christians in name only, that they're not Christians. <laughs> You're not a disciple. You're not a follower of Jesus. That's a pretty hard statement. How do I know this? How can I, how can I say this? Well, let's look at verse 23. Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, the usual message that we get about becoming a Christian is just like, well, if you just say the prayer, if you just like say a quick prayer of conversion, you can know that you're saved, you can know that you're a Christian, and you have your ticket out of the fire and into heaven. And you can walk away just, you got your fire insurance. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. (laughs) It says that if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. Now we just looked at what Jesus came to do. He came to suffer, be rejected, die, and rise again. So if we're supposed to follow Jesus, doesn't that logically mean that we are called to suffer (laughs) be rejected, die, and one day rise again? I think that's what we see in the scripture. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be a true Christian must deny themselves. So there are three aspects of what it means to be a true disciple. And the first one is to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Now, what does this mean? I actually want to read the next verse because I think Jesus kind of continues to unfold what this means. He says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. The Greek word for life here is psyche. And it means like life, breath, soul. And psychology is the study of like the mindset of of the thoughts of the person. Jesus is interested in changing everything about you. <laughs> everything, everything about your life, <laughs> everything about your breath, everything about your soul, your thought, your mindsets. That's what it means to be a disciple who denies themselves. That means there are so many ways that I want to do things, 
Right? I want to spend my money a certain way. I want to treat other people a certain way. And Jesus says, I'm going to come in. I'm going to change how you spend your money. <laughs> I'm going to change how you treat other people. I'm going to change how you relate to your family members. I'm going to change how you uh, go about your life, your career, how you spend your time. I'm going to, I'm going to change your very identity, like who you find yourself to be. It's not going to be about you. It's going to be about me. I'm going to change uh, everything about you from the very core. That's what Jesus means when he calls us to deny ourselves and to find our full life in him. Now, maybe some of you who, who know the stories in the Gospels, you know a little bit about Peter. So Peter's the one who gave the, the correct answer. He's kind of like the leader of the disciples, the twelve He's kind of like that kid in the classroom that always speaks up and answers the teacher. I was that student for a long time. <laughs> He's that kind of guy. And if you, if you know the story of the night that Jesus was crucified, when the soldiers came to get Jesus, Peter ran away. <laughs> and then he, like, he went after Jesus to, to find out what was happening to Jesus. And people said, well, you're, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And he said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not one of his disciples. He denied it. In fact, he denied Jesus three times. And then the rooster crowed and he was overcome with shame and guilt. See, when Peter, when Peter, Peter realized, oh, this is going to cost me something, no longer is it about me being a part of the inside group where there's power and popularity and the crowds want to come and, and worship this Jesus or be around this Jesus, no longer is it about that. It's about me putting myself at risk for Christ. And he didn't like that. And so he denied Jesus. How often do we deny Christ when it's just simply convenient for us? <laughs> Never the mind risky. How often have we had conversations with those around us where we, we kind of put under the rug, oh yeah, I follow Jesus, <laughs> I'm a Christian, let's, let's not talk about that. <laughs> and I'm not doing this like in an accusatory way, I'm not asking that, like I do this, <laughs> I hide, I deny. Jesus calls us to not do that, to not be ashamed. But there's hope for Peter actually at the end of the Gospel of John Jesus restores Peter. He comes to Peter. They're sitting on the shore, and Peter's cooking some fish, and he comes up to them, and, and he asks Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I do. And, and, and then he says, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. And the third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. And it says Peter was hurt. <laughs> you know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was walking Peter back through his denials. He was affirming Peter. See, the worst of deniers, the people that have denied Jesus, if you have denied Jesus this week or over the course of your life or the, your whole life leading up into this point, Jesus offers grace and forgiveness. And he wants to restore you. He wants to restore you to a life of joy and, and fellowship and, and, and love with himself. And sometimes he makes us walk through, walk back through the places that we have denied him. 
And so if we have denied him in our marriages or in our finances or in the relationships around us, like he's going he's gonna to go back and he's going to change that aspect of our life. We may have to have a conversation with the person that we were afraid to, to talk about Jesus with. We may have to start treating our finances differently. We may begin to treat our wife or our husband differently, the way that Jesus expects. Because we follow the master. <laughs> we follow him in the direction that he wants to lead us, not in the direction that we want to go. So what do we do? We deny ourselves. This is the first part of what it means to be a disciple. And then he says to pick up your cross daily. I want to read verse 25 because Jesus continues to unpack what he means. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily. So picking up your cross, what does that mean? Well, when people were crucified, when they were condemned, they had to carry the the horizontal beam, kind of the, the middle beam to the place of their crucifixion. Maybe this was miles, I don't know. They had to pick it up, and it was called the, the patibulum. They carried it to the place of their crucifixion, and that, like, that walk between the place where they picked it up and the place of their death, was just, uh, it was their, their final walk. It was a reminder that their life was forfeit. And Jesus is saying to us, if you want to spend your whole life doing your own thing, then at the end of the day, you will end up far away from me. But if you're willing to pick up the cross and follow me, you will find your way to the cross to where I have been. And I will grant you eternal life. It's so interesting that he says to pick up your cross daily. Christianity, being a disciple of Jesus, is not a one-time prayer. It's not a one-time checkbox. It's a life of repentance, of turning from sin and turning to Jesus Christ. How can I turn from my sin today, Lord, and how can I turn to you? On a Tuesday, it might be really easy to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Life may be good. You might have had like a good prayer time, a good devotional time in the word. You might have a a good relationship with your spouse or loved one and your kids. Things are going good. Things are going easy. That's a light cross day. (laughs) The very next day, you might get some bad news. You might have a fight. You might not have any time to pray or read your Bible. And Jesus is saying, I don't love you any less in those other days. In fact, I want you to come and follow me just through that day as well. You can know me in the suffering. And through the course of our lives, we will encounter big crosses, big times where we're just saying, God, I'm just going to follow you through this time. Maybe it's a, a sickness or the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a, a divorce. Maybe it's a, a move. Just saying, how can I honor and follow you, Christ, in this time? In other days, we'll just encounter the small crosses, and that'll be okay. Jesus wants us to pick up our cross daily and to follow him. 
What about the third thing? Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow him. Follow Jesus. Verse 26 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. To follow Jesus is to follow his words. Jesus is seated in heaven right now. He's seated on the throne. We cannot physically see Jesus. And so we can't follow him like Peter did. We can't follow him in the flesh yet. One day we will be able to when Jesus returns. But we can't do that yet. And so what does that mean for us? How do we then follow Jesus? Well, Jesus gave us commands. He gave us an outline for how to live our lives. And, and that's contained right here, the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we find the words of God, the words of Jesus Christ. And so as we align our lives according to the Bible and what it teaches us, we are following Jesus. We want to follow Christ as he reveals himself in here as who he says he came to be and what he came to do, his suffering, his death. We, we follow him into these things. And it's, it's easy to be ashamed of some of the things Jesus calls us to do, to be embarrassed about them, right? Or the things that we're called to believe. Some of the things we have to believe as Christians we find in here are really difficult. Talks about sin. Sin is a real thing. It separates us from God's blessing. We, we, talk, about, uh, we talk about hell in here, that hell is a real thing, and it's awaiting those that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's, that's pretty hard, but we're called to not be ashamed of that. He talks about judgment. And judgment is not something we like to talk about in our culture, right? Like the whole culture is supposed to be a judgment-free zone. But Jesus and the Bibles say some really hard things about like who we're supposed to be, the lives we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to honor God in every aspect of our life. We're not supposed to be ashamed of these things. I know that sometimes I really wrestle with these things, and I, I, never, I never want to share these things with my friends. I get afraid. I get paralyzed. And so we need to focus not just on the hard things, but also on the good things. <laughs> that Jesus came to extend grace he came to extend forgiveness. He came to bring the love of God. He did not come into this world to condemn this world, to renew it, to love it. And so we, we talk about the full picture. We talk about not just the bad news, but the good news too. And we seek to align our lives to it. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, we deny ourselves. We deny it myself. We pick up our crosses and we follow Jesus. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, it kind of continues the story. There's four knights. The third knight walks up to the bridge keeper, and, he, and the bridge keeper says, what is your name? He says, Sir Galahad of Camelot. He says, what is your quest to seek the Holy Grail? What is your favorite color? And he says, Blue. No yellow. And then he is launched into the chasm. He messed up the most basic of questions. He was unsure of himself. We're called as Christians to, to know who Jesus is, to know why he came, to know what this means for our life. 
Don't be afraid anymore. Don't hesitate. Why did Jesus come? Why did he come? To suffer, to die, to be rejected. Who is he? He's the Messiah. He's a prophet. He's a priest. He's a king. The transfiguration, which is next week's passage, it tells us that Jesus is the son of God. And what does that mean for us? Well, we're called to deny ourselves, to pick up our crosses and to follow him. That's what faith is. It's walking after Jesus. The final, final knight goes up to the bridge and he gets the same questions. What is your name? And he says, Sir Arthur, King of Camelot. He says it with a commanding voice. He says, what is your quest to seek the Holy Grail? And then he says, what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? <laughs> and Sir Arthur, King of Camelot, says, what do you mean? The European swallow or the African swallow? <laughs> and the bridge keeper says, huh, I don't know that. And he is launched into the chasm. <laughs> we also have a king, King Jesus, who has defeated death. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He has opened the bridge so that we can find the Holy Grail, <laughs> so that we can have eternal life through him. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know what it means to have eternal life, it's just through Jesus we come to him and we begin to align our lives to him. And it it can be a bit intimidating as we talk about denying yourself, picking up your cross daily and following him because that seems really steep. But then we got to remember that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he didn't do first. See, Jesus denied himself. He picked up his cross and he followed his father. And he did it perfectly. He did it, he did it without error. He didn't mess up once. He went to his grave and he rose again. And now there is an empty cross because Jesus rose. There's an empty tomb. And he says, if you believe in me, if you repent and put your faith in me, I give you like my perfect walk. <laughs> my perfect walk through life. That's what truly counts. What you're doing it's just following after me. You're following in my shadow. And my shadow is just pure holiness, pure righteousness. I'm covering you with my holiness. We have a king who has defeated sin and death. Come, deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. Follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he explains what it means to be one of his disciples. And it is steep. It is challenging. It is hard. We don't do this alone. We have the Holy Spirit. We have brothers and sisters in Christ to help us along our way. I pray that we would do that. Would we be a church where we encourage each other, where we can help each other in this, this walk? Teach us to deny ourselves, Father. Teach us to, to pick up our crosses daily. and Teach us to follow Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.